0: Ten after seven, good morning. Confirmation yesterday from the presidency that our government has now formally sent a letter to the International Court of Justice asking judges there to consider using their powers to order Israel to stop its offensive in Rafah in southern Gaza. Israeli forces are bombing the area after saying they want to evacuate civilians from there. But the United Nations says there is nowhere for people to go. They've been forced from northern Gaza, around 1.4 million people are now living in tents or under plastic or out in the open. 600,000 of them are children. And as you know, our government's already won an order from the International Court of Justice that Israel must take steps to protect civilians. The court did not order a ceasefire. The Director General in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation is Zane Dungal. Mr. Dungal, good morning. Thank you for your time. Good morning, Stephen. What do you want the court to do?
1: Well, we're asking the court to use the powers that they do have to to order a, perhaps an additional provisional order to stop essentially more killing in, in the Rafah area. As you've just pointed out in your introduction, Rafah normally houses about 280,000 people. We now have 1.4 million people living there and they were forced to go there through the sort of humanitarian damage and the killings in northern Gaza. And they have now been told to evacuate and there's literally nowhere for them to go. Um, And any military action, whether it's by air or a ground offensive is gonna cause massive deaths. And we're asking that the court uses its power to stop more irreparable harm to the Palestinian people in that area.
0: Do you believe the court has the power to do that? I mean, this, it would seem, uh, obviously, is par- building on our on on, on on South Africa's application or government's application that what's happening in Gaza is genocide. But uh, is this separate or is this building on that? Do you have to prove genocide in this case?
1: No, we don't have to prove geno- or plausible genocide in this case. It's built on from what we've argued, and the court has a Article 75.1 of the rules of the court, where they can, in exceptional circumstances, and where you know there's this, this demonstration of urgency, use the individual or regional powers um, to assess the situation and order a, a provisional order.
0: I, I know that the, you're asking for them to do that without a hearing, but I presume you would need some sort of legal argument. Would that legal team have to come back? Would, we, would there be an argument from the Israeli side as well in some form?
1: Well, the Article 75.1 doesn't require um you know the necessity of a oral um, argument by either parties we've done it in in writing through a letter and we now know that they've asked the israelis to respond um, with by this thursday so that that response would most likely be in the form of some kind of written application by the israelis the court will then assess what the argument that we've made they will assess the conditions on the ground um, and then they will make a, a decision on their own They may if they want to call us for oral hearing, but we think given the urgency, that may not be necessary.
0: Um, Obviously, our government won the previous order. Has Israel complied with that in any way, shape or form?
1: No, not in any way, shape or form. We, We know that there was an attempt to reinterpret what the provisional orders were saying. If one reads the first two provisional orders in particular, the first provisional order makes very clear a specific um, instruction to respect Article 2 of the Genocide Convention that includes, for example, stop the killing. Artic- the second provisional order then orders the IDF to respect, ensure that they do not engage in any conduct. That breaches all the provisions in that in, in in the Genocide Convention. So essentially, while we did not ask for a ceasefire application, this was a de facto ceasefire order by the court. It was very well crafted by the court. All six of the provisional orders. So, you know, none of these measures have been complied with by Israel.
0: Our Minister of International Relations, Dr. Naledi Pando, and I realize she's your political boss, was speaking in Parliament yesterday, and I think she used the phrase, Israel is massacring civilians in Rafah. Is that the official position of our government? We believe um, that Israel is guilty of a massacre of Palestinian civilians in Rafah and in Gaza. That word massacre, of course, is the key word
1: there. If you look at the mass deaths, then it is a massacre. We people are now referring to the massacre in Rafah after the very first attack. I think we 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 witnessed a number of deaths of children and their caregivers in the first six hours of that of that attack. Attack. Um. People estimate anything between 67 and 100 people in six hours. So that is a massacre by any standard.
0: Zane Dungal, thank you very much indeed. The Director General in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. It's just gone a quarter past seven here with SAFM. Benji Shulman is the Director of Public Policy at the South African Zionist Federation. Benji, good morning. You oppose what our government is doing here. Why?
2: Thank you, Stephen, and uh, good morning to the listeners. Yeah, this application that uh, the ANC government is bringing here is simply an attempt to try and protect its ali- uh, Hamas allies from further legitimate pressure by the Israeli defense forces to help get out hostages and to uh, finish the war. There are 18 battalions of Hamas that have been successfully neutralized, and there are four more that are holed up in Rafah. Uh, And we believe that this is just a further attempt to misinterpret the orders by the courts to try and protect Hamas from further military action.
0: Okay, when the United Nations, so not me, not our government, the United Nations says the people in Rafah, the one point four million Palestinians there, have nowhere to go, and the Israeli government is saying that they civilians must evacuate Rafah. Where should they go?
2: Uh, Stephen, there's already actually quite a lot of options for them to go. For one, they could go into Egypt, for example. That's right, close on the Rafah border, uh, and there's lots of space and uh, opportunity for them to go there. So that. Uh, uh, military action can continue without any civilians getting uh, in harm's way. And in fact, there are negotiations at the moment between the United States and Egypt and Israel to see what options there are so that civilians uh, don't need to be hurt uh, to the maximum possible options. We uh, must understand that for the IDF, it's not optimal to operate where there's lots of civilians anyway. So it's, it doesn't actually Help them to to have civilians in the area they want to deal with Hamas, and so if those negotiations are successful, you should be able to have uh, those civilians get out of the way so that Hamas can be dealt with.
0: So Palestinians must leave Gaza?
2: Not necessarily. Some of the negotiations that they're talking about are uh, talking about areas around Rafah. They're trying other parts of the Strip. This is not an impossibility if your viewpoint is that the problem here that Hamas is holed up in civilian areas, and what we need ultimately is a uh, pro-peace uh, regime in that area so that we can have uh, proper uh, negotiations that can continue. It's worth noting that this was not just an attack on Rafah, which happened in the last while. It was a specific attempt to actually release hostages, which was successful. There were two hostages that were released. And this is the first set of hostages that have been released pretty much since the start of the war. And I think what we're seeing here is Hamas getting desperate because they understand that this is coming and they are ratcheting up the diplomatic pressure so that they can try and prevent further military action.
0: Okay. Um, We have seen Israeli politicians, not all of them, but certainly some of them, suggesting that Gaza should be depopulated. Uh, When you now talk that Egypt must take Palestinians and you say there's space for them, there's space for them because there's no one living there and there's no one living there because it's a desert. Let's just be very clear about that. Um, You're suggesting then, you seem to be following what some Israeli politicians have said, which essentially would mean that Gaza would be empty and Israel would take it over. In other words, the Palestinians would lose Gaza Is that what you're suggesting? That in fact, and this would go against everything the United Nations stands for, you're suggesting then that the Palestinians would lose Gaza, it would be depopulated, and you're saying that 1.4 million people must be forced off land that even Israel has said before is theirs
2: no one's suggesting that at all, Stephen. I think that that's what you put there is an enormous stretch. What we're trying to look for here is humanitarian corridors to keep civilians out of harm's way, which has pretty much been the policy of Israel since the beginning of the war in northern Gaza, in Khan Yunus. The point is you want to deal with Hamas. Hamas is the problem here. Uh, Hamas is a violent terrorist organization that continues to try and murder people. And what you want is civilians out of harm's way. What you're trying to create is some sort of humanitarian corridor, whether it's into Egypt or other parts of the Strip, which is currently in a negotiating position, uh, and to find ways to deal with the problem. The truth is, is this could end tomorrow uh, if Hamas was serious about protecting the Palestinian people. No one seriously thinks that Hamas have a chance of surviving this. So why are they continuing this war? If they gave up tomorrow... And released all the hostages then none of this would be a problem Uh, but in the meantime then if that isn't the issue then we need to find a way to protect as many civilians as possible whilst dealing with the military threat which is israel's right including what the court said in terms of its right to self-defense
0: benji someone comes and knocks on your door several people come and knock on your door with guns and they say you must leave your house because we're fighting someone else so it's not you they're fighting they're fighting someone else would you leave your house seriously? Would you just pack up everything? Okay, it's fine. In fact, I'm going to leave the country. I'm going to go some. I'm going to go into Lesotho simply because you're fighting someone else. Seriously,
2: Stephen, we're seeing this all over the place. Uh, if you take, for example, the ANC's backing of Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine, that created a lot of. Uh, refugees, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry,
0: Benji. I'm not going to accept uh, that. You need to, Stephen, you need to explain Stephen, sorry, Israel's gonna, actions you, Stephen,
2: here. Stephen, 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 are you going to let me finish the point? You're going to try and interrupt me. We, in a war situation, there is refugees that are uh, that is created. This is every war since the beginning of time. And what we've seen with the IDF is they have not just knocked on doors, as you're suggesting, quite cynically, I think, but actually worked very, very hard to make sure that. Uh, Palestinian civilians are protected. They send millions of SMSs, they drop pamphlets, they make individual phone calls to Palestinian civilians in Arabic to help them find routes that they can escape out of the conflict, which is basically, I think, what the ANC government is saying, is that they want to prevent civilian deaths. And that's what Israel is doing at the moment. They're negotiating with Egypt. They're negotiating with the state. Uh, Either we find a way to finish this war, or you and I can have this conversation again in 10 years' time when Hamas murder more Israeli civilians, which is what they said they will do.
0: At the moment, we have Israeli forces using snipers to kill people coming out of hospitals. We have children being killed. We have civilians being deliberately attacked. Civilians, not soldiers. It is the position of our government that Israeli forces are guilty of a massacre of Palestinians. Is there any other word that could be used?
2: Uh, Stephen, I think that everything that you said there is uh, entirely incorrect. Israel is not targeting civilians. That's not what's going on here. And as I said... Uh, the numbers that you're using uh, and which Zain Dungo used came from a Hamas-controlled entity, the Hamas-controlled uh, Gaza Ministry of Health. Uh, Israeli numbers suggest that as many as at least 30, perhaps more, of those people that were killed were armed combatants, as has been the case throughout this war. And it was part of a rescue operation to get hostages out. Now, if we want to find, and which was successful, by the way, two hostages were uh, released, And I think that that's really important, and we should, we should celebrate that. Uh, but what we need to do is focus on the fact that we have uh, Hamas's there. It's embedded in a population, and we need to find ways to make sure that we can root it out so we can have a pro-peace regime in Gaza.
0: Benji Shulman, thank you, Director of Public Policy for the South African Zionist Federation, you with SFM, 23 minutes after seven. listening to all of this is Professor Mir Swart, a visiting professor of international law at Wits University. Professor Swart, good morning to you. Does our government have a strong case here to ask judges at the International Court of Justice to intervene at this moment?
3: Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Yes, definitely. It's clear that Israel has essentially violated the the terms of the 26th January order repeatedly and uh, this is exactly the right time for the South African government to intervene and to keep up the pressure on Israel.
0: We send this letter. I presume the court would have a duty to hear an Israeli argument or an Israeli letter or some kind of affidavit too.
3: Uh, yes, uh, as Zayn Dangor said this morning, uh, Israel would respond on Thursday and they would most probably argue that they need to pursue this offensive in Gaza And other military operations because of self-defense, because they have the right to self-defense, this is what I fully expect will happen.
0: Israel does not appear to be complying with the previous order. Does that then, I mean, and certainly that's the view of our government that it's not complying with the previous order. Does that come into these arguments at all?
3: Yes, I, I expect that this will fortify our request. This will strengthen our request. The fact that it's very clear that Israel isn't complying will probably motivate the court to agree to ordering these additional measures. Um, And the the urgency is, is very clear.
0: It's been interesting to watch the rest of the world respond to all of this. So, I mean, I know there are questions around the legitimacy of the court, especially if Israel refuses to comply with the order. But it seems to me that the order may be changing they, the, the sort of balance in the, in the court of public opinion around the world. Some countries, some people who originally opposed our application, are some people now beginning to think twice about what Israel's actually doing. It's because, uh, in, The application has helped to change the minds of people who previously supported Israel.
3: Um, I think that it has received an enormous amount of media attention, and that is very good, and that it has helped to swing opinion uh, I am, however, afraid that the the major powers that support Israel have not been influenced enough. We see that there's a bill before Congress uh, that, you know, Congress will vote on a bill suggesting that all funding to UNRWA should be stopped and that Israeli aid should be increased. So so we see in, in terms of the U.S. and Germany, for example, that, that not enough is changing.
0: Professor Mia Swat, thank you. Visiting Professor of International Law at Wits University.